A public service announcement brought to you by the scientists of Boogie Down Productions. Fire! You're listening to WTUL News and Views. Visit our website, wtulnews.tumblr.com, for podcasts and updates. Good morning. You are listening to WTUL 91.5 FM. Up next is News and Views, an alternative news show where we hear from local organizers about the work they're doing. To help build a more equitable and just city, I'm your host, Sophie. And if you've listened to my show before, you've probably noticed that one of my favorite local organizations to highlight is the uh, New Orleans chapter of the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America. And I'm not getting any feedback in my headphones, so I just want to check that we are actually live on air. Hold on one second. <laughs> a disclaimer. The views, opinions, and conclusions expressed on this show are not those of Tulane University or WTUL New Orleans. Okay, back to the show. So today uh, we are going to be talking to a couple people from the DSA, and full disclosure, I am a member, along with 50,000 other dues-paying members across the country. Uh, And since Trump got elected, the DSA's national membership has uh, exploded. And the New Orleans chapter has not only grown with it, they now have about 200 active dues-paying members, but uh, some of the work they're doing here has inspired and served as a model for similar work being done in other chapters nationwide. For example, uh, in August of last year, the New Orleans DSA hosted a free brake light repair clinic where volunteers spent their day fixing people's broken taillights for free. Um, And after changing about 50 brake lights in just that one day, the chapter voted to make the clinic a monthly endeavor, and news of its success went viral, um, inspiring at least 45 other DSA chapters to organize their own brake light clinics in different cities across the country. And here in the studio and via phone today, we are joined by two local DSA members who help organize the clinic each month, Kate Root and Andrew White. Uh, Thanks for joining us, you guys. Welcome. Thank you for having us. So, people really seem to love this idea. Why do you think that is? Why is this so exciting? And what's so important about brake lights? Kate, do you want to uh, take that one on why people seem to love the idea so much? So, uh, well, I'll just give a little bit of background. Um, And Kate, I was not a DSA member um, when Caitlin came up with this idea and started planning it. I just was friends with her. Uh, when I say Caitlin, I'm actually talking about uh, Caitlin Marone is her name, and she uh, is also a comedian, and so the clinics came about because she was driving through Florida trying to get to Louisiana, and uh, she got pulled over twice in one night for the same brake light being out. It was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, the fact that you get slapped these hundreds of dollars fine, and then they tell you that it's for safety, and it's like, well, if it was for safety, why wouldn't you just either fix it or tell me to go fix it? Like, why is there, um, anyway, so she looked it up, how to fix it, and fixed it herself, and was like, this is so simple, we should teach people how to do this. So, um, she worked with the DSA, which, uh, our New Orleans chapter just organized, uh, earlier that year, it was in 2017. Uh, that we got our charter. So they were like, yeah, you know, that's kind of the beautiful thing about organizing is you just say, hey, I have this idea, and then people work with you (laughs) on it and make it a reality. I Um, love that. Was Caitlin a member at the time? 
was a member, yeah, okay. I believe. And she uh, just had this idea, and you so, guys were like, great idea, let's do it. Yeah, so all these people organized it. I just helped, um, I used to be a journalist, so I helped being like, hey, I'll help you, I'll write a press release, I'll get you a press list, I'll make sure that we get a little bit of um, information out there so that people will come. So I helped with that. And it was amazing. Like, literally, yeah, she got interviewed. Um, I, I definitely know advice. There were other outlets, too, that wrote about the project. And then other clinics, other GSA chapters immediately started planning it. So right after the first one, they held a, um, a conference call where anyone could call in and ask questions. And then they also used that information and the information from the subsequent break lights start putting together a manual tell other chapters how to do this. Um, so we worked on, I was, by that time, I don't know if I joined in pages and whatever, but I was definitely working with them. <laughs> um, and we put together our first manual in December 2013 and put it out to all these chapters with all, you know, just whatever we could think of. This is what we know. This is how we did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the one cool thing is that we had a follow-up conference in August of this year, so one year later, and uh, I think eight different chapters across, from across the country called in, and um, we talked to them about their experience, but it has been put on by, yeah, it's 15 different organizations, yes, GSA, but also some YDSA, there was uh, Take of People's Liberation, um, so there's been, you know, lots of people taking on this work, and one of the things that I heard during that conference call with the organizer saying, um, this is the perfect project to learn how to do the project. You know, it's like it teaches you how to be an organizer as well as teaching you how to fix the break. I mean, teaching how to be an organizer is much, <laughs> that's, the, that's the job, right? It's more than just replacing a bowl. We're trying to get people good at having conversations and uh, really interacting and building solidarity with in a way that they might—that is very awkward the first time you do it. <laughs> you know, I mean, interpersonal interaction isn't easy for uh, everyone. So, <laughs> sure. Uh, so, oh, I'm sorry. What are these conversations that you're having? What is what do the brake lights have to do with democratic socialism? Why is this a, an issue you guys are focusing on? Um, for me, the brake lights are a really clear demonstration of. Uh, kind of two different types of state violence, both like the very clear physical violence that's a possibility anytime police interact with our citizens, um, our neighbors, our friends, um, as well as the economic violence of the fact that most people don't know when they have a brake light out. I know I don't usually know when mine's out, and yet it gives police the right to pull you over and write you a $152.50 ticket, which is you know, more than most people earn in a day, more than most people spend on food in an entire week. Um, and this is something that's really affecting, uh, a large segment of New Orleans doesn't have money to pay these tickets. Um, like Kate mentioned earlier, if the goal of the ordinance or the law is to actually keep us driving safer vehicles, Mm -hmm. why aren't the police fixing the light for us? It takes like three minutes or five minutes and it's very inexpensive to do, or why aren't they, you know, giving us a voucher to go to a nearby shop and get it done? Um, why are they 
using these traffic stops as an excuse to pull us over and write us a ticket for that and sometimes many other things too. Right. Those um, those simple traffic stops can lead to to bigger things. People can not only get tickets, but they can it can it can lead to search, it can lead to arrest, it can lead to death, as we saw with Blando Castile, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and this is something that affects uh, people of color more um, and undocumented uh, residents. Yeah, undocumented residents, people of color, low income people are disproportionately affected by this. And we're as uh, you know, as the DSA, looking to build solidarity with these people who don't have as much of a voice on our national scale of politics, um, and to take power away from the rich, the people that do, and abuse that power and give it back to the community, the people that are, you know, not being heard right now. Yeah. I, I love being an answer, and I'd love to just say that one of the things that has been transformative for me is um, just that, that ability to change someone's perspective. You know, again, the first time you hear someone say, if it's a public safety issue, why don't they just fix your brake light instead of charging you again? more than a day's pay, more than a week for the groceries. And the way things are is very powerful to people. And so any opportunity that you have to highlight that contradiction and say, you know, a better world is possible. We could, we could demand it. Um, that's a very powerful moment. Yeah, why are we using this opportunity to, to make a, a quick buck off of our, our most vulnerable uh, community members. I was looking up the uh, the ticket information yesterday, and I also noticed um, that they'll charge you another $152 um, if you don't change your address on your driver's license. There's a whole list of random fees for things that I probably do all the time. Yeah. <laughs> of course, man. That's amazing. Yeah. Just, I mean, there was that story that... Um, Chelsea Braestead of the Times he wrote this year about the guy right who was riding his bicycle and got like the thousand dollars of fine tickets. Um, literally a bicycle, you know. And eventually, of course, they change some of the rules, but still, the same man if he was riding his bicycle, I'm sure could still get five hundred dollars worth of tickets if he ran into the wrong police officer. You know? Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. If we don't, it, 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 it's the whole system, right? say, oh, that one little piece, that's not right, but again, is it, is it my $150 that we should get rid of, or your $150, or should we just be like, hey, these shouldn't charge us money for this stuff. It's a weird way to earn money. Yeah. What and, about taxes? An, an important part of the uh, clinics that's really hit home with me, I actually live right by where they host the clinic, and I walked by and saw what they were doing, and then instantly joined the DSA. I was like, this is brilliant. I love this. Um, and a really amazing part of the clinic that I saw going on, you know, in real time when I walked by that morning was that the conversation that we're having now on the radio um, is going on at the brake light clinics. Um, we're raising the collective consciousness of our neighbors, our friends, the people we live in community with. Um, many people know that they're experiencing these things, but they don't really think of it as a systemic oppression or an injustice. Um, so to give people the language and to justify how they're feeling um, 
and to really just like listen to what people in our community are experiencing and, you know, where they're struggling, where we can come together to support one another. Um, that's been the real magic of the brake light clinics for me. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I love, um, I love that you, you, you guys refer to this as mutual aid and you make a distinction between mutual aid and charity. And I was wondering if you could tell us more about that. Yeah, I mean, mutual aid is a community building relationship among each other. And again, pointing out uh, where capitalism is failing us. It is not just giving, or I think charity just, um, even though it is good, it is very tied into our current economic system of the fact that you know some people will starve, so you need to have food bank. <laughs> you know, like maybe we could work on the on everyone having access without requiring. Yeah, focus on the cause. Yeah. Why are people starving? Mm-hmm. Right. So the mutual aid is more about. I mean, capitalism is very uh, isolating system, and a lot of especially economic issues, are really tied to shame. And so we want people to feel like, as a society, like that they're doing something wrong for not being able to make it, when in reality, um, they're being exploited. So mutual aid is just about highlighting that contradiction in a way that still helps your neighbor. Like... uh, Another great example would be DSA San Francisco um, passing out masks during the wildfire. And especially, one of the days at least, they were in front of City Hall doing it. You know, like, again, yeah, like, hey guys, this is possible. It could be happening right there. City Hall is ours, first people. Um, but instead, the DSA is going to stand in front of it and you mask for free because uh, the world is burning. Yeah, that's a that's a powerful picture mm-hmm. there. I think also a, a big component of mutual aid is that community building aspect. Um, like currently, the program isn't run by the community, but if we're able to connect with the community and engage the community in a way that it's not the DSA um, organizing and putting on these brake light events, um, that the community is participating and, and supporting and, you know, helping create the vision of it that they want, that even if the DSA were to like step aside, that these permanent, uh, these programs would be more permanent and durable and create some real lasting change, um, rather than being more like just a charity thing of running a food bank or, you know, changing somebody's brake light. Um, if we can create that community, then it becomes more permanent and durable. And that's like a really interesting part of the change that viewing it as mutual aid um, really resonates with me. Yeah, I like that. Looking out for each other instead of um, penalizing each other, criminalizing poverty is basically what this, this system does. And the clinic. It's a very labor control. Yeah. Making people afraid is a very good labor control. Yeah, and that, that fear and that shame. You guys also uh, organize a, a debt clinic. Is that right? So we partner 
um, with an organization called the Deck Collective or the Deck Clinic, um, which are usually held in conjunction. We have a healthcare for all committee, um, so that committee canvases uh, to build support for Medicare for all. Which again, it's just an interesting part because our democracy would be like, what our quote unquote democracy would be like? Why are they canvassing? They don't have a petition. There's not a specific bill in the house. Not or anything, why are they canvassing? What is their ask? <laughs> yeah, and their ask is demanded. We all know that this would make our world better. Let's make them get it to us. Let's, let's do that. Um, and it's really important to make people engage in this. We can do it. We can force reforms. So, um, the debt collecting is a really organization uh, that has tools to help people dispute all kinds of debt. And again, it's built on that contradiction of, you know, energy transfer partners can have all the money that they want. They could owe the bank millions of dollars, and the bank still cares more about them than they do about the individual account owners, right? That's the nature of capital. So, are powerful in the same way that these uh, multinational corporations are powerful. So it really works to both like help people again organize around debt as a conversation helps them uh, try to fight that personal shame, um, but also gives them actual tools where if you go mm-hmm. onto their website, which is zero debt zone, look it up. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I actually did speak to uh, Thomas uh, Thomas Goki and Dong Luik um, from the Debt Collective, um, and that was a pre-recorded interview that I haven't finished editing yet, but will air next Friday. Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely listen to that one. <laughs> Thomas is great. Yeah, both of them are so smart and so can't wait to, to finish this interview um, and get it out there for you guys. Um, but uh, I'm wondering about all the other stuff that DSA does. But also, I think that people would be interested in hearing a dis- um, if you guys could distinguish between what DSA does and what other 
left-leaning Democrats do or believe in. Because a lot of the Democratic Party does support um, Medicare for all and criminal justice reform and stuff. But what's the difference here? Yeah, for me, found, like fundamentally, the DSA is looking for a systemic change, not to like write laws to regulate the harm that capitalism is causing. The end goal of the DSA is to change the system to be a system that's truly democratic and where the means of, of, you know, all the fruits of our labor belong to the people who create the value, not to people who inherited money from their parents or have a bunch of capital or, you know, had privilege that led to them gaining wealth. Um, the DSA is also super decentralized, as Kate mentioned earlier. Every initiative in the DSA starts with somebody's good idea um, and people organizing around that to create programs and projects and change. Um, there's no like top down directives and management like there is with the Democratic Party. Um, I think many of us, you know, who are on the left, uh, watched the last election on election unfold and we kind of had this feeling of dread of like, you know, the, the the DNC has chosen our future for us. This isn't what many of us asked for. Um, and that's something that you don't see currently and won't see within the DSA. It's really a, uh, it's not a political party either. Um, it's an organization that is just for the people, by the people, and um, very, very different from the Democratic Party in that way. And although uh, the DSA does... Um, sometimes endorse candidates um, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, most of the work or a lot of the work actually takes takes place outside of the electoral system. Is that right? And it's yeah. really just about organizing uh, and, and empowering people. Yeah, so um, there, again, because it's not uh, a top-down directive, it is so individual. You know, so um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, you know, her first step would have been talking to the Queen's part of New York DSA and building those relationships. Um, and for each chapter, they're, it's not the, it's not the most typical chapter work necessarily, um, working on that sort of level of endorsement, because at least in our bylaws, I mean, you have to have a meeting of the general membership um, that needs to be ratified by a big majority. So that's mm-hmm. important. Um, and nationally, I mean, yeah, you get a lot of, uh, I mean, that 50,000, 52,000, I think, was the last number I saw national DSA members. Um, it's a huge spike when people win. So winning is important. People need to get the feeling of winning. It's important. It helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you also get that feeling of winning by uh, starting a project, seeing it through, and having conversations with people. I mean, that's amazing. And um, you might not know what work is being done in your own city. Um, my first step, again, when I first got into, North, um, into DSA, I was working with the uh, Director of the Committee, 
because of my personal relationship, um, and because it spoke to me. I mean, personally, I'm an abolitionist, so it, of course, spoke to me. Um, you mean a prison, then, prison maybe, abolitionist? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's still in the 13th Amendment, right? No slavery except. So, right. I, I, so we have the system that criminalizes poverty. People can't pay these fines. They go to jail, and they end up as slaves for the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's somewhere around ninety five percent of people who are in prison never had a trial. Like that's what the system of plea bargaining does. That's what the system of bail does. They keep, keep they arrest people, and then they're just in jail. Oh, yeah, okay, so they're being held in jail temporarily until their trial, but, but, yeah. Because they're already in jail. They're basically the guilty until proven innocent at that point. Yeah, well, and then it's so much easier to get them to agree to a plea bargain because they haven't been out. They haven't had a chance to consult lawyers. They don't have a chance to build community support and figure out how they would fight their case. Instead, they're still in a prison cell and having someone tell them, well, if you go to trial, it might be your whole life, but if you take this plea bargain, it's just nightmares. It's so sad. Yeah, even if they're innocent, they, they encourage them to take the plea bargain. Because they will not, yes, because they are not going to be adequately represented at trial, so they mm-hmm. don't feel that they have a chance to win. So they're given no support to fight for their civil rights. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, if you're if you're already struggling to get by, you can't afford a lawyer, and our our public defenders are are there are too few of them. They're underpaid. They're overworked. Didn't didn't our city actually start like a Kickstarter campaign or something a few years ago just to get funding for public defenders? I ha- that a thing? I haven't heard of that, but I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> at all. Which is really oh, sad. It's so hard to remember old news. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up and let you guys know. I um, feel like I saw that on a. I feel like I saw that on John Oliver's show or something. Um, no, I think that you're right. It's just, it's, you know, how did you remember anything more than yesterday? Yeah. So this this uh, all of these issues um, are so related to each other, and it's making me think of like a debtor's prison, and we're putting people in in these situations for fines and fees they can't pay for really simple things that shouldn't be destroying their lives. I mean, again, it's it's not about any individual person. Um, it's a system. Mm-hmm. I uh, read earlier this year Angela Davis's uh, If They Come in the Morning and
It's uh, held from 11 a.m. till 4, correct, Kate? And, that and, is correct. And it's at the uh, small little park or patch of grass right by Pagoda Cafe, which is at North Dorjanois and Bayou right. Road. Which is uh, near Broad and Esplanade yeah. area and the 7th Ward. Yeah, if you, if you drive around the Broad and Esplanade area, you'll see some people out on both of those streets, hopefully waving some signs and directing you into, uh, it's just basically one block in from both of those. Um, and, you know, come by the clinic, even if you're not sure if you have a brake light out. Like I said earlier, you know, I, I used to have brake lights out all the time and drive around with them out for months. Yeah, how do you know unless somebody tells you? Yeah, so come come by and just tap the brakes, and uh, we can check them for you and change them for free. Change them for free. You know, just talk to you a little bit. There's usually there's snacks and stuff, and people are always um, just happy to be out there. And I also just wanted to say that uh, we actually have our next one planned as well. So it's both uh, December first and January fifth, both times in the same place at North Dorjanois and Bayou Road, and both. Uh, days will be from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. There's a lot of uh, flags and red signs. Make our if you have children, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kid-friendly place, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. There's no reason for anybody to not come, basically. And uh, we hold the event every month. Um, we is don't... it the first Saturday of every month? 
It's usually the last Saturday. Uh, we moved it to the first Saturday due to the winter season and all the holidays. Um, but feel free to check out. There's a calendar on the DSA website or link up with us on Facebook. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty consistent thing. We have it uh, either the first or last Saturday of every month. And, and you've been uh, doing it for over a year now, right? Yeah, Kate, what are we on the 14th or 15th month? How many bulbs do you think you've changed? Um, more than 200. Yeah, I there's think... A, there's a spreadsheet somewhere that I'm not looking at, but more than 200. <laughs> but again, those are... But it could be more bulbs than that. What we count is, uh, we have more... Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and people, right? Someone people. signs a waiver, and that's just for us after we're looking at their car to um, see what's going on. And again, we actually... You know, we have our own um, stock of bulbs that we keep, but we have also, last month I know there were multiple people who came up and they had a headlight out and, you know, the location is very close to an auto parts store. So, if we can figure out what the bulb is, uh, we can ask if the person can go get it themselves or we can go get it. And, um, yeah, it's... The answer is if we can figure out how to fix yeah, on on many vehicles we end up changing two or three bulbs. That hundred fifty two dollar fine applies to any light on your car that's out: the brake lights, the running lights, the headlights, the fog lights, the little lights that illuminate your license plate. So don't think just because you uh, don't have like one of your three brake lights um, out that they can't write you that ticket as well. Yeah, and they're actually very easy to change. I've changed uh, my headlights and brake lights before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of silly that we're not taught to do this type of thing just in driver's ed or something, you know? Um, but but you guys will teach people how to do this mm-hmm. themselves if they want to learn. Um, change the bulbs. Uh, and it's a great opportunity. Even if you don't have a brake light out, uh, it's a good opportunity to, to come learn more about the DSA. And what they do and what they believe in and um, how you could potentially get involved. Yeah, so uh, don't forget to stop by the clinic tomorrow from 11 to 4, um, right across from Pagoda Cafe at North Thorgenois and Bayou Road, or uh, more generally, uh, Esplanade and Broad. <laughs> and I guess just for future uh, clinics, um, you guys always are looking for volunteers and probably donations. To- yeah, absolutely. That's a beautiful thing about the DSA. Some people choose to contribute monetarily. Some people uh, contribute with their time, their uh, expertise, their skills. Um, some people choose to do both. Um, some people volunteer or don't do either and contribute in uh, the way of just spreading the word about what we're talking about. Um, there's all kind of ways to get involved. So kind of to use the uh, New Orleans, get in where you fit in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love that. That's great. Um, And I love this clinic. I think you guys are making a a really big difference in in people's lives and you're opening, um, opening the space to have a real dialogue about these systemic oppressions. Um, And it has caught on in all over the country, and it's exciting to see what's going to happen next. Um, I do have one little thing that I can say, sure. which is that we are revising 
our manual right now in the hopes of having our second edition out by the end of the year. Um, just really, again, refining the process, refining the politics, and showing people that no matter where they're at organizing, they can do this. Yeah, this is the manual that we uh, make available to chapters or, or just people all over the country to, to learn how to set up a similar uh, break light clinic. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Um, before you guys go, and Kate, I know you have to leave, um, but also uh, Kate is a poet and uh, she's uh, allowing me to play some uh, recording of her poems um, that she read recently at, do you want to tell us a little bit about this, Kate? Yeah, so I actually read those poems recently at Dogfish, which is a uh, literary series that I uh, co-host with a few of my friends every month at a private home in uh, St. Rock. Uh, but it's open to everyone. There's always snacks, um, and it's a really great time. Uh, our next one coming up is December 13th, um, and it's a founder's reading, so me and Jessica Kinnison, Taylor Murrow, and Alex Jennings will all be reading our work. Um, and then the other thing I can mention really quick is that I am actually not going to make it to the break like clinic tomorrow because I'm reading at Ladder Library at Julia. Um, so anyway, just speaking poetry instead of police for a minute. <laughs> Oh, well, these poems, I'm guessing you wrote at least one of these right after the DSA Summit. That's what I was picturing in my head when I was listening to it. Um, yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's not, these aren't, these are not unrelated to what we've, we've been talking about this whole time. Um, but I'm going to play that next. Um, after that is Democracy Now!, The War and Peace Report. Uh, and we're going to close this up. Um, Kate Root, Andrew White, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank and you, Sophie. <laughs> everybody, go go check out the DSA's uh, Give Me a Break Light Clinic tomorrow, 11 to 4. Thank you so much, Sophie. Thank you. And here is Kate Root, Poetry. He lives in my head. Sometimes his full name, sometimes just the first name, just the initials, just the nonsense nicknames I made up for my imaginary friend. The other day I took a break from the radical politics summit and walked to a chain link fence by the river. I let the nickname erod my lips, endless tumbling of syllables of tender helplessness. It would have sounded like boy, 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 bobbing and slapping seas. And then I worked it into a melody, the type of singing that is wordless, vocalizing air pushing through lungs, capillaries, tissues of the throat, teeth, and gums these lips. The Thibodeau Massacre, as told to me by Jean Goutreau. 
November 23, 1887, labor strikes, sugar crop, name buildings and streets after murderers, Tesh region, 5,000 members of the Knights of Labor, 12 chapters in the state. They didn't take notes, so it's hard to know how they organized men, women, black and white, made 60 cents a day and wanted a dollar, want cash, not scrip, and every two weeks, strikers armed themselves, shot at scabs to scare away owners, talked to governor confederates, none of these twos learned their lesson, Beauregard sent in military Shreveport guerrillas from Cato Parish militias and scabs Gatling gun government murdering strikers sharecropping era help us uphold the law but the law keeps them rich owners evict strikers plantation of Edward Douglas White chief justice of Louisiana Supreme Court namesake of segregated white school in Thibodeau voted for segregation in Plessy v Ferguson you all already know same lies as during Katrina, white lies, white fear, militias set up outposts around town to keep black people out, burst into black homes at 6 a.m., murder 60 people. Whites celebrate. Do not underestimate the state's role in suppressing labor the same military they use imperialistically abroad they will turn on us god bless jean Boutreau. be brave people died in this struggle in addition to the 64 in the escalating action lots of ancillary killing office 20th floor look out charity billionaire tower city hall the super home my heart aches and I don't know why I'm bleeding years trying to read my body like Marquez's book of sand or was it the one where the man falls off a horse and suddenly knows everything in the world but he's insane because that much knowledge is incompatible with reality what am I supposed to remember story and myth and art and the way my Spanish teacher laughed her jokes the stories about Chile and Argentina flightless birds pushed by wind laughter stem cells of exaggeration forever young the room is dark and I'm sitting on the floor and no one knows where I am the day is dark I watch movement trucks school buses cars lights blink I see the Hyatt house where the ice soldiers disappear people I feel dark I wait out hours thinking of home thinking of blooming spices and oil the smell of chilies dried crushed new again sear smells into white painted walls intoxicate the air with alchemy until I watch the scrolling of the city background movement I know how they all feel right now I am pretending to be asleep Think what you're listening to is important? Let the News and Views team know. Send comments and questions, concerns and praise to WTULnews at gmail.com.